So this morning, though, uh, we're going to place a, a bookmarker in Luke, Luke chapter 4, and we're going to take a slight detour so that I can share with you the message that I gave on Friday at this Servants and Leaders Conference. Now, in case you weren't aware of this already, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you're a servant. And every leader, including myself, is a servant leader. However, whether you're serving in a ministry or leading one, there are also many responsibilities that come along with it. One among them is protecting the church from anyone who wants to come in and possibly harm the body. In, in today's passage we'll be looking at, Paul will give specific instructions to Titus on how to deal with the false teachers in Crete. What Paul tells him is important for us to know. If you're currently serving, if you plan on serving, would like to serve, um, if you're leading here, um, or you're called upon to serve, I'm going to be showing you the need to have um, good offensive skills and how a leader's offense requires a good defense. So before I begin reading, let's, um, let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Lord, I, I, I want to thank you for everyone that's here, Lord, for everyone that's, that, that made it here, that's here to worship and to hear from you. Um, I pray that you bless them right now. I pray that you will speak to them, Lord, um, so many things. I pray for those listening or watching too, Lord, that wherever it is they're serving, that they, that they do that, that they serve with a humble heart, Lord, with a humble attitude, but also just with a, the heart of a servant, Lord. Um, we are we're so thankful that you've given us gifts, that you've given us a calling, Lord, and we want to use them for your glory. I pray, like, as Isaac said, that we remove all the distractions Lord, and, and just focus on what you have to say, Lord. Love you, praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Titus. Titus chapter 1. And I'm going to be starting in verse 10. Titus chapter 1, verse 10. The Word of God says, For there are many rebellious people, full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. One of the very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, rebuke them sharply so that they may, so they may be sound in the faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject the truth. Okay, so in verse 5, we discovered that one of the reasons Paul left Titus in Crete was to appoint elders in every, ta in every town with characteristics he described in verses 6 
through 9. Well, here now in verse 10, Paul begins to tell Titus the reasons this must be done. And he says, for there are many rebellious. In the New King James Version, it's that word says insubordinate people. Now, apparently there was a large group of individuals who had risen up and were willfully defying the authority of the apostles and denying their teachings. Paul then points out two traits that characterize these rebellious people in Crete. First of all, they were full of empty talk. Now, this was the same tone that he used in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. And it's, it implies that their talk preceded, produced no spiritual benefits. It was, it was pointless. He also characterized them as full of deception. Deception is one of the products that comes from empty discussions and pointless ideas. False teachers, therefore, will use their ability to turn a lie into truth and entice the ignorant and the weak to follow them. They have a way with words that um, will just draw people in. Now, I, I can stand here and give you several examples how politicians do this today. But the truth is that false teachers and cult leaders are worse than deceptive politicians. They're worse because they're leading the souls of people into eternal punishment. Without reservation, Paul then names the circumcision parties as, as um, a specific example of who he's speaking of. These were former Cretan Jews claiming to be Christians, insisting that believers must be circumcised and, observed, and observe ceremonial laws. In his commentary, William Barclay wrote this, they tried to persuade them that the simple story of Jesus and the cross was not sufficient, but that to be really wise, they needed all the subtle, subtle stories and the long genealogies and the elaborate allegories of the rabbis. Further, they tried to teach them that grace was not enough, but that to be really good, they needed to take upon themselves all the rules and regulations about foods and washings, which were so characteristic of Judaism. So what he does, in, so what Titus does in, uh, I'm sorry, what Paul does in the next two verses is that he tells Titus what needs to be done and then explains the reasons why. He emphatically states that it's necessary to silence these rebellious people. Now why? Why do they need to be silenced? What was it that they were doing that necessitated this kind of action? Well, first of all, they were ruining entire households by affecting one or two members of a family. These false teachers were essentially destroying entire, entire households, entire families. 
Now, presumably, these, such families were Christian. And we ought to know that any movement, anything that causes rifts, divides the family, must be carefully watched. He also mentioned that they were teaching what they shouldn't, what, yeah, what they shouldn't. Now, we can't be 100% sure what it was that they were specifically teaching about, but it's clear that whatever it was, it was damaging social and familial structures. He also mentions that they were, they were uh, doing it in order to get money dishonestly. Now here is where we see their true motives, what their true motives were. They were teaching dishonestly to make money dishonestly. It was all about the money. And sadly, there are a lot of preachers, there are a lot of teachers in pulpits today that have the same motives to prove the kind of people these rebellious leaders were in Crete. Paul provides a factual quote from one of their own um, former and ancient religious teachers to expose, to expose their true character and manner of life. And I'm speaking here of the Cretans. That quote was from Epimendes, who they looked upon as a prophet. And, and he described this, Epimendes described the people of Crete as not just liars, but always liars. Not just beasts, but evil beasts. Not just gluttons, but lazy gluttons. Now, Epimendes wasn't the only one on record claiming, uh, writing that, or saying that Crete was known in the ancient world for their decadence. The ancient historian Paul, Paul, Polybius wrote that it was almost impossible to find personal conduct more treacherous or public policy more unjust than in Crete. Cicero also stated moral principles are so divergent that the Cretans consider highway robbery as honorable. So by quoting a person the Cretans venerated, someone they looked up to, he establishes a picture of who they were without exposing himself, without putting himself in a box or in a corner to, that people would charge him of being anti-Cretan. However, it, it put the Cretans in a difficult dilemma. They must either admit he's right and accept that tradition about, or that description about them, or deny the charge and brand their own prophet as a liar. So after informing Titus of what must be done, Paul then tells Titus how to silence them and what it's meant to accomplish. When it comes to correcting difficult people with kind of disposition when it comes to correcting people have you ever tried to to tell someone who's just a really mean person a really difficult person have you ever try to correct them it's it, it can be really hard because you just don't know how it's going to go most of the times you just 
from experience, you know they're just gonna come at you, attack you, say some mean things, um, deflect or deflect, um, gaslight, whatever, whatever it is. Um, they just turn it back on you or they attack you personally. Well, when it, again, when it, comes to, when it comes to the church, when it comes to correcting people with this kind of disposition that Cretans were known for, the best way, he tells, the best way to silence them is to rebuke them sharply. In his book, Practical Wisdom for Pastors, Curtis Thomas wrote this, Rebuke must be administered carefully, and only after we have gathered sufficient, irrefutable evidence of an unrepentant heart. If it's a matter of their ignorance or biblical attitudes or morality, or our rebuke must be in the form of gentle instruction. But if it's a matter of high disregard of God's standards and not our own personal ones, our rebuke must be firm and it must be clear. Even then, patience must be exercised, allowing the Spirit of God to work in their hearts. But given a reasonable period of time, the rebuke may need to be coupled with a command to forsake that sin immediately. Paul then explains three effects that the sharp rebuke is meant to accomplish. Number one, so that they may be sound of faith. The motive of a sharp rebuke shouldn't come from an enjoyment to do it, to do it. as a leader in, in this church or in any church. If you have to rebuke somebody because they're bringing in false teaching, because they're doing things that they shouldn't be doing or saying things they shouldn't be saying, it shouldn't come from, man, I can't wait till that person messes up and I'm going to give them an earful. I'm just going to, this is going to be awesome. I've been waiting for this opportunity. I've been waiting for this time. It, it shouldn't come from that or, or, or even from a heady position of, of pointing out people's faults. Seeing a leader shouldn't be looking at someone and say, you know, I, I, there's something sketchy about that person. I, I'm going to find out what's, what they're really all about, what's really going on. I'm going to look for you know, their faults, and I'm going to write it down, and eventually, if I need to, put it in my back pocket and, and, and give them a piece of my mind. That's not, again, it shouldn't come from that. The goal should be to encourage and to promote a healthy faith consisting of a correct view of doctrine, righteous behavior, and a loyalty, and a loyalty to Christ. Number two, so that they may not pay attention to Jewish myths. Now, these Jewish myths were typically Jewish traditions and fictitious tales added to Old Testament history. Tales about Adam, Moses, Elijah, and other Old Testament saints. Thus, by having a sound faith, people will not buy into these made-up stories. Number three, so that they may not pay attention to the commands of people who reject truth. This refers to the various legalistic and ascetic rules that people try to add to the gospel and our liberty in Christ. 
It was of this which Paul wrote in Colossians 2.23. These rules may seem wise, but because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, or they require that. Let me read that again. These rules may seem wise, but, be, but or because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. They're, these rules, these regulations, these dietary, they're, they're not going to make a person holier. They're not going to make someone a better Christian. All it's meant to do is just bind a person down. Because if they can't keep them all, they start to believe that they're not good enough. Now, before moving on to the last two verses I'll be covering, some of you may be wondering how this pertains to a leader's offense requires a good defense. Well, I want to spend a few minutes explaining how it does. But just to give you an idea of where I'm going, I want to share with you a quote I found. General George Patton said this, in war, the only sure defense is offense. And the efficiency of the offense depends on the warlike souls of those who conduct it. So if you're serving in ministry right now, if you're serving here as, as a leader at Fresh Vision Church or plan to serve, um, here are three tactical skills you need to know when you have to go on the offensive. Number one, a good offensive servant and leader needs to know who their, oppo who the, who their opposition is before confronting anyone. And, and as a servant, again, you have a, if you're, I would say leave that responsibility to those who are leading. Um, but, you know, we'll take care of it. But before we as leaders, or, or maybe even if you have to, if it's necessary to do it right away, before confronting anyone, it's important to establish if who you're confronting is, is ignorant or if they're rebellious. You see, there's a difference between these two kind of people. Someone who is ignorant doesn't know better. Whereas someone who is rebellious knows better, but chooses to do the opposite. The ignorant speaks falsehoods. They yap, and they say things, they, they speak before they think. And because they don't understand truth. The rebellious person knows the truth but purposely speaks falsehoods. A person who is ignorant can be guided back to the right path, but a rebellious person will purposely take a different route and remain unyielding. So by recognizing who you're dealing with, by recognizing if a person is ignorant or rebellious, you'll be able to determine the appropriate action that needs to be taken. Ignorant believers can be taught. They can be taught and discipled. 
but ministry leaders, those that come into the church that know the truth. I'm sorry, yeah, that know the truth. Christians that, that, that profess and say that they have a relationship with Christ, um, ministry leaders may have to take harsher measures to deal with these rebellious ones. Number two, a good offensive servant and leader will need to know what their objective is and its purpose. That objective is to silence anyone who is promoting false doctrine. And the purpose is this, to keep them from damaging the ministries that you've been entrusted with. See, along with being a spiritual guide, those of you who lead, those of you who are in ministry, or who, again, want to be in ministry, you also have a responsibility to prevent dangerous people from coming in and spreading their poisonous doctrines in the church. So if you hear about it, it's, and this is so important, if you hear about it, don't stay silent. Let somebody know. Let one of the leaders know. Let me know. And we'll take care of it. Say something. Now, if you know about it, don't ignore it. Again, if you're unable to, let me know, but address it, confront it, and silence them. Tell them to stop. Tell them to, to quit. What they're doing is just causing division, causing problems, causing a rift, teaching things they shouldn't be teaching here at the church. Ephesians 5.11 says this, don't participate in their fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. Look, also, when it comes to dealing with rebellious people, spreading false doctrine in the church, let me share a, a truth that many people have a hard time grasping. Democracy and the First Amendment don't apply. Those things outside the church, yes, we have, as Americans, we have a right to speak our minds, to express our opinions. We have, we, you know, we can, if we don't agree, we can vote people out and, and vote people in that we want to represent us. But that doesn't apply within the walls of the church. As leaders, Servant leaders, they must be silenced regardless of who they are or how they may feel. If someone comes to you and says, well, we live in America. I have a right to speak. Well, you know what? We're in the church and I have a right to silence you. I have a right to rebuke you. If you don't like it? Sorry. There's the door. But... If you accept this and you have a, truly have a humble heart, you, we can talk about this, we can break bread, we can just share, and, and, and you can listen why it's dangerous. But if you can't, I'm sorry. And this is, these things are important for us to know as a young church because it, it, we, this kind of lays down the foundation, too, of how we're going to deal with things later on. 
I, I don't want anyone to start coming in here and start messing with our minds and start telling, saying things they, that, that contradict what I'm teaching here, what it says in the Bible. This is important, again, to, to, to know and to understand, for all of us to know and understand. Number three, a good defensive leader will need to know how to engage the opposition to achieve the desired outcome. Paul told Titus what to do, how to do it, and why it had to be done. Likewise, when it's time to go on the offensive, it's important to have a strategy. In James chapter 1, verse 19, we're told, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. So in light of what James said, how should you approach someone that needs to be rebuked, that needs to be corrected? Servants and leaders, prepare a plan. Know what you're going to do. How you're going, how you'll be doing it, and why, and why you're, you're doing it. Prepare ahead of time. Talk to people, talk to other leaders. Yes, and, and, and there will be times when you may have to act immediately. But in those situations, pray for wisdom, pray for strength. Don't react in the flesh. And what's one of the best ways to do that? By maintaining your composure, by keeping your cool, by not going off the handle. Maintain your, see, when you maintain your composure, you're able to think more clearly. You're able to say things more clearly and, and to, in a way that, that, that's understood. That way you can speak the truth. You can just speak clearly and they can understand you. And, and if whatever they say, you're like, okay, well, I'm just telling you what you're doing and you can attack me all you want, but I'm just telling you what the truth is. Maintain your composure. And so, okay, so in the next two verses, Paul shifts to another important tactic, Titus. And the elders he appointed, the elders he'll appoint must learn. So let's pick up in verse 15 and read those last two verses there. Titus chapter 1, verse 15. To the pure, everything is pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In, full, in fact, both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They claim to know God, but they deny Him by, by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Here, we see the character of these insubordinate leaders in Crete. In the first half of verse 15, Paul informs Titus of who he's up against. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 and 26, Jesus said this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, 
hypocrites. You clean the outside uh, of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside of it may, may also become clean. So what Paul is, this is what Paul is really saying here. To the pure, everything is pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Let me explain. Like the Pharisees, those rebellious teachers in Crete were seeking to load the people down with religious rules that concerned food and ceremonies. They were externalists who sought to conform and judge others on the basis of their own external, external do's and don'ts. Have you ever been approached by someone who has a list of do's and don'ts? What a Christian should do and shouldn't do? You should wear this. Women should, should, should wear a certain should wear certain clothes at church. Men need to wear suits at church. Um, you know, this it, church has to be conducted in this way. We, we need to have a full worship band in order to have church. You know, uh, you guys are doing it all wrong. It needs to be done like this. Well, who said? You know, they again, these people, they're trying to to weigh people down with these religious rules and, and, and to observe certain days, certain ceremonies. But the thing is, we don't have to. You see, things that were forbidden under Jewish law were being imposed on Christians living in grace. As Christians, we have, we're living in grace. We're saved by grace, by faith, and not by works. We don't follow a bunch of rules and regulations in order to be saved. That Jesus already did that for us on the cross. He, we already are by just accepting him and, and, and receiving him into our hearts. We're saved by grace, not by works. And that's what these people here in Crete try to do, and that's what today many religious people try to do is just impose things on Christians because if they don't and, and if they don't do them it's like they're committing this great sin like it's like they're violating it's like almost like they're violating the, the the command don't murder anybody you know and it weighs people down because then they can't when they if they can't meet these standards these rules and you start to feel guilty, like they're not good enough. They're not good, they're not good Christians. And that's sad. As servants and leaders, we need to know that true, true purity doesn't reside in the practice of religious rituals or in devotion to rules and regulations. Purity that God recognizes and commends comes and commands comes from within. And a person can attain this. The only way a person can attain this is through faith in Jesus Christ. Because you see, cleansed from within, that person 
becomes free to live in purity, washed of all selfishness. Thus the mind, transformed by the truth, ignites the conscience to obey God willingly in all manner of living. Those with a pure mind know that they cannot be contaminated by things they touch or the things they eat. Yet the purest of minds will, not, will have no relish in seeking unnecessary defilement. Those who refuse truth, who stubbornly exalt themselves, who believe they can attain righteousness through self-effort, in reality, they're impure. Because you see, their minds continue in the enslavement of false ideas, self-deceptions, and empty philosophies. And in such conditions, their conscience also remains damaged and dysfunctional. For such individuals, nothing, nothing at all will ever, ever be pure, right, or righteous because they remain defiled from within. Paul then tells Titus in verse 16 how these insubordinate leaders and their followers were a threat to the church. They claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. In other words, they acted, they, they were in the church acting as if they had a personal relationship with God. But their conduct remained selfish and worldly. They just, they were hypocrites. Again, we must remember that he's not speaking of an unbeliever. That he's not speaking of someone who is ignorant, who says, you know what, I, I know God. He understands me and I can sleep around. I can have as many girlfriends as I want. I can, I can go out and, 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 and get drunk and, and have, uh, you know, and live my life. God knows me. We have a relationship. It's not that. I, you know, I think that a lot of times people who say that, they don't know what they're saying. They really are ignorant. No, he's speaking of those who had come to Christ and then later sought to add religious rules and regulations to the message of grace. Who were saying, yeah, I'm saved. Me and Christ, we're tight. We have a relationship. I know that he died for me. And, you know, we, I know that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to heaven. But just to be sure, we need to do this and we need to do that. We need to observe these ceremonies. We need to do this. Again, we need to do all kinds of things to, to, to ensure that we, just to make sure that we are going to go to heaven. You know, it's, again, it's, these are people that are just being rebellious. One commenter, one commentator made this illustration. He said, I laid aside a coin one day but did not remember where I had put it. One day I found it in the corner, encrusted with rust. At first I thought it was copper, but careful examination proved it to be silver. It had lain there so long that it was tarnished and unrecognizable. 
Likewise, many Christians are so covered with the grime and filth of this world that it's no wonder that the, the unconverted look upon them as copper instead of being good silver. Now, finally, at the end of verse 16, Paul explains their condition. First of all, they're detestable. This is an expression of the disgust of their hypocrisy. It's like they, they look at them and like, Ugh, it's just gross. It's disgusting what they're doing. Yuck. Can't stand it. It's like disgusting. Secondly, they're disobedient. The term here refers to a, to a disobedience that is a result of a lack of trust or a, or a failure to be persuaded. And thirdly, they're unfit for any good work. In Greek, the word, I'm going to try to pronounce this, but again, I'm not really good with pronouncing Greek words. In Greek, that word is adokimoi. This word means rejected after testing and was a result and was used to refer to stones that were rejected by builders. When, when these ancient builders would build a home or a building or whatever it may be, if they had a stone that had flaws on it and that couldn't be used, it was marked with a huge letter A and it was set aside as, as worthless, as useless. They can't be used. So what Paul was implying was that these men were like that. They were perverting the gospel, dishonoring the person and work of, of the Lord Jesus, and deluding the souls of men. Thus, they weren't just an irritation to the church. They were a threat to it. They divide what God seeks to unify. They destroy grace to establish laws and commands. And they confuse what Christ clarified through the gospel message. Therefore, when leaders in the church, in any church, fail to silence such teachers, the false teachers in their churches, they're being complicit and are in sin. Now, earlier I shared with you the importance of having an efficient offense and gave you three tactical skills a leader must know when going on the offensive. Now, using these two verses that we just read, I now want to share with you how a leader's offense also requires him to have a good defense. So to prevent someone from causing serious damage in this church, in your ministry, here are three defensive skills a servant and leader should know to prepare them and prepare themselves with. Number one, a defensive servant or leader should recognize the opposition's offense. If you're familiar with football, a good defensive linebacker will know whether a, to cover man, cover zone, or to blitz by just looking at the offense, by looking at the offensive formation, 
seeing how they're lined up and, and listening to certain calls by the quarterback or, or the other offensive players. Now, how do you think they know these things? How do you think they, they know how to read that offense? Well, they've already spent hours upon hours studying tape, studying the offense, studying the opposition, so that when game time arrives, they're ready. That's what a good defensive player will do. Likewise, we too, as believers, as Christians, we need to recognize our opponents by studying their offense. This means understanding their uh, other doctrinal perspectives. What is it that, the, that those other denominations, what is it that the Mormons believe? What is it that the Jehovah Witnesses believe? What is it that, you know, what is it that some of these other churches, maybe Reformed churches believe? What is it that you just need to know? I think it's important to, need to, to, to know these things. You know, do you know what cessationism is? Do you know what, um, I'm trying to think, uh, do you know what pre-trib means, post-trib? You know, do, do you understand, why, do you know why, what you believe and why you believe it? Also, are you reading about the latest ideas and views, things that are coming out that are seeping into churches that are causing damage that are causing issues it seems like every few years a new teaching comes around a new way of doing things comes around and and big churches small churches alike they will embrace it and it causes problems you know one of the things i've always loved about calvary chapel churches and is that for us, we just teach the Bible. We, this is our main focus here, you know, is teaching the Word of God so that when something comes along, you know, you can see that it's different. It's, it's not lining up to what the Scripture says. You see, when you're aware of these things, when you understand, when you become more knowledgeable with these things, you won't be blindsided. We won't be blindsided when it tries to enter our, your churches and ministries. You'll understand. When someone comes in and tries to, it says something, you're like, you know what, I, I know about that, I've heard it, I've read about it, and we need to stop it. Know what you believe and why you believe it. The Bible says in Colossians 2.8, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than on Christ. Number two, a defensive servant or leader must understand what the opposition, uh, opposition is trying to achieve. Paul told Titus that through the hypocrisy of the false teachers in Crete, they were trying to achieve chaos and instability within the churches. When people come in and want to change what's being taught in our church and if you're watching in your churches 
in your church pulpits, that's really what they're trying to achieve as well. Chaos and instability. Paul said in Romans 16, 17, watch out. Watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles contrary to the teachings, to the teaching that you learned. By knowing and understanding what they're trying to achieve, you can stop it. We can stop it before it begins. And lastly, number three, a defensive leader knows the opposition's weakness. If you look carefully at any professional fight, whether it's boxing or MMA, as soon as one of those fighters exposes their weakness, what is the other fighter going to do? They're going to capitalize on it. They're going to jump on it and try to, to, to just use that weakness against that other fighter or, or just try to always attack that weakness. Paul here described the treacherous, leader, the treacherous leaders in Crete as detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. He was exposing their weakness. Why? Why was he telling Titus this? So that Titus could see that although they appeared intimidating, although they spoke like, like sailors, even though they had the tongue of a sailor, even though they, they were like really mean men, they were actually weak and insignificant. You see, we mustn't allow a person's status. We shouldn't allow a person's celebrity status, their popularity, their education, their political strength, to, or their looks, or even their demeanor, to keep us from confronting them if they're causing division in the church body. If a famous celebrity started coming here, I'm not going to walk on eggshells just to make sure that he stays here. Even if the, the president of the United States was to come by, you know, in these walls, he's just like all of us. He's no different. That power remains outside. We should be able to, as leaders, as, as, as people who are protecting the church body be able to confront people, regardless of who they are, if they're wrong. No one is above correct, uh, correction. No one is above reproach. So regardless of who they are, if they're causing serious damage, we need to stand up to them. We need to expose them. And if necessary, we need to rebuke them. Yeah, the world may not want to stand up to them because, well, but we must. We must, because if we don't, then who will? Who will stand up to them if they're teaching false things? Let's remember that the gospel is not just a message of salvation from the penalty of sin, but one that includes God's deliverance from sin's power and reign over our lives. 
here at Fresh Vision Church or wherever you may be serving, we need leaders and servants that aren't afraid to proclaim the true gospel message and will refuse to bend the knee to those who are spreading a false one. We want to protect what the Lord is doing here, what the Lord wants to do here. We have to stop people from, or anyone from trying to, to harm, to bring division, to, to, to cause stumbling blocks. You know, and that's, and, and this, I know that our message here mostly applies to false teachers, but that comes with anything. If, if you hear anything about anybody here, instead of believing it, you know, talk to the person. I mean, we shouldn't be, first of all, we shouldn't be gossiping. But also we need to, these are, we're, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. If you have a problem with someone, speak to somebody. If you have a problem with me, let me know. I'm not saying that we should look at anybody new that comes in with, you know, leery eyes. We just look at them. No, we just, we accept anybody that comes in, anybody that wants to come in fellowship. We love them. We care for them regardless of what they look or what they may believe or, or their lifestyle they have. We accept them. We love them. But once they begin teaching things they shouldn't be teaching, once they start doing things they, that are, and now they're, they're bringing other people they're encouraging other people to participate in these things or, or they're saying that, you know, we need to be doing this or we need to be doing that in order to be a, a correct church or a right church and in order for us to, 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 to even grow, to make, you know, to bring hundreds of people here. Uh, yeah, you know, we need to be careful about that. You know, let somebody know if you don't feel comfortable confronting him. And, and again, we will. We will say something. So... This is the message I, I, I shared while I was up there. And, you know, they were, the, the people that were up there were servants and leaders. And, and, and I, from what I gathered afterwards, they were really thankful that I shared this message. Um, and I hope, again, it is for us. I wanted to share it here because as a young church, we need to understand these things. We need to know these things. If you have a heart to serve, and if one day you become leaders, this is important to know as well. We need to protect the Lord's pride. We need to watch out for one another. We need to care for one another. So, again, I hope that this message, whether it's all of it or whether parts of it really spoke to you, really touched you, and showed you the importance of, of unity, the importance of, 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 of having that close bond with one another. I, I really would recommend that you go to the, the other messages that were shared. The other, I think there were other four other messages that were shared. Um, go to the Calvary Chapel Three Crosses website, and and there the the other te- I think they have all the teachings there. Um, but again, you may learn some more things there. I believe you will learn some more things in those teachings. So, again, I, I thank you again for just allowing me to take a detour from Luke and just sharing this message. Um, I think it applies today. It'll apply later on. Uh, and we 
This is just for all of us. So let's close with a word of prayer and and then ask the Lord to bless us next time of fellowship. Lord God, um, we are thankful. We, we are thankful for your word. Lord, as you raise up leaders, servants here at this church, I pray that they will lead boldly, Lord, that they will lead um, also humbly. That they'll, that they'll look to you, Lord, on, on, on doing the right thing and making sure that no one comes in and tries to cause issues, cause problems, Lord. Because it's going to, we know that it's going to happen. We know that eventually people will try to come in and cause problems. But if we have our focus on you, we know that you will help us, you will strengthen us, you will show us, you will enlighten us. You will give us that discernment to, to know. Thank you, Lord. We're just so thankful for, for who you are. That we live. That our faith in you is that you honor it, Lord. That we're saved by grace, not by works. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. Pray for those that are here, those that are watching, that wherever they may be serving, that they will serve you faithfully there. Bless us next time, Lord. Watch over everyone here as they go out throughout the rest of the week. Um, bless their families as well, Lord. Watch over them, protect them. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.